I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again. Relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Once again, the Guardians of Grace greet you and welcome you to another episode of the Guardians of Grace. As you can tell, Steve is speaking and Bill did not start us off because Bill couldn't be here today. He's under the gun. So if you would, would you pray for Bill because he really is under an enormous amount of pressure right now and he couldn't make it to the podcast, which is his heart. That that tears his heart out not to be able to come today. So any day that he can't come and do this podcast is a day that is like super punishment to him that it really hurts it really hurts bill not to be here so we ask that you pray for him and pray for nothing to hinder him from ever coming back allow him to come back each and every time we podcast lord i'm asking you to do that Lord, please allow Bill to come back each and every time we podcast because we need him. We need his the insight that you speak through him. We need that. We need how you manifest the mind of Christ through Bill and share revelation from this Bible through the podcast. We need that to happen through Bill. So it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. I have something in my heart that I want to share with my fellow guard dogs. I want to share with anybody who will listen, actually. But I have something, and I believe God put it there. I believe he worked in me to will to do this podcast and to accomplish this podcast. That's Philippians 2.13. God works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Well, that's what I think God has me doing now, his good pleasure. And I believe his good pleasure is to share with you, my fellow guard dogs, an idea that's mentioned in James chapter one, where James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds 
knowing that when those trials test you, no, it didn't say that. The, the trials don't test us. Knowing that the when the trials test, test our ability to believe God, no, that's not what they're testing either. It's saying knowing that the trials are testing your faith. We've got to understand what your faith means or we miss realizing what the whole letter of James is about. We don't understand any part of the letter of James unless we understand the way in which James used that word faith when he was saying the testing of your faith. This brings us to a little journey through the Bible that we're going to have to take. And I'm just thinking about the Old Testament where their faith was their ability to trust God and know that God had their back. That was their faith. And it was their faith. Their human faith was being tested all the time. Goliath was a test of their human faith, which the nation of Israel failed, but David succeeded. His faith succeeded. Abraham, when he offered up Isaac on the altar, his faith was succeeding. His faith failed throughout his life, but it succeeded when he offered up Isaac on the altar. When the 12 spies went into the land of milk and honey that they were supposed to spy out and bring a report back to Israel saying, we can go in there and conquer this land. They said, we can't. Their faith failed. They said, we can't. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're all giants. They'll demolish us. Only Joshua and Caleb had the faith that said, no, if God is for us, they cannot be against us. And that was the test of our human faith back in, in the days of the old covenant. The test was, do you believe God will give you victory? Do you believe that God will part the Red Sea? Do you believe that God will take care of the Egyptians? Do you believe? And he gave them miraculous sign after miraculous sign, and they still doubted. They still didn't believe. They failed the test. Like James says, Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Well, in the Old Testament, the testing of their faith proved failure. They did not have the faith to believe God would take care of them. That's why they were always grumbling. That's why they were grumbling, saying, we don't have anything to eat. And God rained down manna, bread from heaven, 
for them to eat for years and years and years. And that still didn't cause their faith to be able to pass any other test. Because when any trouble came their way, they were right back to doubting again. But that was the definition of faith in the Old Testament. That was the definition of faith until Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels. And in these Gospels, you hear Jesus saying, Oh, what ye of little faith, how long will I have to put up with you? Or you of great faith, your faith has made you well in everything. And that was seeming to cause you to think that Jesus was talking about their human faith and one person had great human faith and the other person was a failure with his human faith. It was, but Jesus actually wasn't speaking about faith that way anymore. Even though the Old Testament characters live by faith that way. Jesus was saying, I have not seen such a new covenant view of your faith. Your new covenant, great faith am I seeing. In other words, Jesus was saying, and we've got to get a handle on this, we've got to know exactly what faith is to be able to understand that comment in the first three verses of James. The faith that Jesus was saying, I can see that it's great or I can see that it's small, is literally like Romans 12 says when it says we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought according to the measure of faith given to us, the amount of faith given to us. When Jesus was saying, I haven't seen such great faith, he was saying, I haven't seen anybody that was given such great faith. It was given to them. It was a gift from God. As we know from Galatians chapter 5, it is a fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faith, self-control. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is given to these individuals, and Jesus could see it for what it was. It wasn't their human ability to believe and not doubt. Remember the disciples saying, help us with our unbelief. Give us more faith, they said. Well, it's a measurable, tangible thing called faith. In 1 Corinthians 12, it actually describes faith as a manifestation, get this, a manifestation of the Spirit. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, it tells us point blank that faith is a manifestation of the Spirit. It says there's a variety of gifts, but one Spirit. There's many manifestations of the Spirit, and then it goes on to list them. 
and it says one manifestation of the Spirit is faith. It says these are manifestations of the Spirit. In the New Covenant, faith is a manifestation of the Spirit. That's how the Word has evolved. That's the term of art that is used for the word faith in the New Covenant. A term of art being a word that you define for the sake of that contract. Well, for the sake of the contract of the New Covenant, faith is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It is not something that is humanly sourced out. Humans do not possess it. It's your faith when it is given to you in a measured amount. In 2 Timothy 1.5, it says that this faith is living. It said the, the faith that is living in you and your mom and your grandmother Eunice. I know the faith lives in her too. It is a living faith. And you get a measure of it. You get a measure of this living faith. And in the new covenant, this is where our understanding should have, this is what our understanding should have evolved to, to where we understand that it's a measured living manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Our faith is nothing else but a measured living manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's why in James chapter 2, it says there's living faith and there's dead faith. And we may even go there to that passage later on in the podcast. I don't know. But for now, we spent nearly 15 minutes just defining how the new covenant defines faith and it is first corinthians 12 7 to 9 to to some have been given the manifestation of the holy spirit in in verse 12 9 of first corinthians so now that we know what faith is a manifestation of the holy spirit we can get a handle on James 1 through 3, where it says, Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of a manifestation of the Holy Spirit produces endurance. Because we know that only the Holy Spirit produces endurance. Only God is the God of endurance. That's what it says in Thessalonians and Hebrews, that we all need endurance and that he gives endurance. Well, he gives endurance by a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That is our ability to endure. It's the showing of the Holy Spirit's power when we are enduring and holding up during a trial. We do that by this living faith, which is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit during these trials. In other words, you can be in a, a line at the bank, and it's a short line, 
but all of a sudden, every person in front of you needs 20 minutes worth of work done for them, and you find yourself sitting in that line with only four people ahead of you for 30 minutes. Well, that's a trial. That's going to aggravate the dog out of anybody, but during that trial, either a manifestation of the spirit will show up and you'll bring kind, edifying words to the bank teller, maybe even encouraging words that help her get through her day instead of ripping her face off with your human nature, talking about how bad it needed that time. I needed that time to do other things and you should have been faster when the poor lady couldn't do anything any faster. She, it's up to God how much progress she makes. She's not in control of that. But during that trial, you can manifest. And that is what the book of James is about. Let me tell you, the subject matter of the book of James is about manifesting. And the whole book supports and teaches and wraps itself around the idea of manifesting and how dependent we are on God manifesting himself through us and what a privilege it is for God to manifest himself through us. Do you remember when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people were laying down uh, palm fronds in front of the donkey as it walked and they were all saying, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest. And the disciples said to them, they're really praising you. And he said, if they didn't praise me, God would use the rocks to praise me. God can use anything he wants. He took a rock and made it produce water for the entire nation of Israel to drink. They drank from a rock. God can use a rock if God wants to. That's why the devil tempted Jesus and said, hey, turn that rock into bread because God could do that. He could use a rock to become bread to eat if he wanted to. He can use a rock to praise him. He could make the rocks cry out and praise Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, if he wants to, but he gives us the privilege of being the vessels that he manifests himself through. That is the essence of the new covenant, and it's also the essence of the book of James. James is the thesis statement of the book of James. Trials produce manifestations of the Holy Spirit. That's what they're there to produce. They're not there to refine our faith because the Spirit's faith is refined perfectly. The Spirit's faith is perfect. They're not there to refine our human faith because our human faith will never be perfect. You can't refine it. That's why in Revelation 22, 
Jesus in red letters says to him who is unrighteous, let him stay unrighteous. To him who is filthy, let him stay filthy. To him who practice righteousness, let him stay righteous. To him who can clean himself, let him clean himself. Jesus was saying, let the flesh be the flesh. Let the unrighteous thing always be unrighteous. Don't try and make it righteous. Let the Spirit of God be the righteous thing. Let the Spirit of God. That's what then it says, and I'm coming quickly and I'm going to bring my reward. So if you let the flesh be the flesh and you let the Spirit be the Spirit and you give credit to the Spirit, that's how you store up treasures in heaven, which is what the book of James is about. It's trying to get you to speak and act as those who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom. That's the law that set us free from sin and death. That's the law that we're under, whereby we give God the credit for what he does through us and around us, and that stores us up treasures in heaven. And when we don't and we take the credit for ourselves, our treasures burn. Truly, we have our reward here on earth with whoever we bragged or boasted to here on earth. That, that was our reward. The pat on the back was our reward. Giving God the credit caused our reward to be eternal an everlasting reward, and that's by giving God the credit for what he did when? When he manifests himself through us. When he manifests himself through us. That's what he does. That is the new covenant. I will put my spirit in you, and it will cause you to walk in an exemplary way and be an exemplary Christian, because it is going to manifest itself through you. That's why it says, and no one in that day will have to teach his brother about knowing the Lord because they all will see him from the least to the greatest. In other words, no one will have to teach his brother about experiencing the Lord because they will all see him manifesting himself through each other when we're fellowshipping. And that's what the letter of First John is about, how to spot whether you're fellowshipping with Jesus and his Father through a person or how to spot if you're fellowshipping with Adam through a person. whole letter of First John is about that. It gives example after example of somebody who's either in the flesh or in the spirit either manifesting the flesh or manifesting the spirit. You have to understand how much of this New Testament is dedicated to the idea of manifesting and teaching you about the idea of manifesting. That's what this New Testament wants you to learn about. And that is the way in which James chapter 1, 1 through 3 is using the word faith, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. 
knowing that the testing for a manifestation of faith of the Spirit produces endurance. Knowing that a manifestation of the Spirit produces endurance. We don't have endurance without the Spirit manifesting itself through us, causing us to have endurance. Nobody would say, it's my endurance. It's God, God never did that through me. You wouldn't dare say that. You'd say, no, God did that through me. That was his endurance. He, he caused me to endure the trial. Well, you'd be right on, man. It's a manifestation of him that is causing us to endure the trial. And I just want to point out that it is not the trial is not causing you to refine your faith or, or polish your faith or work the muscles of your faith and cause them to be stronger. It's not doing that because the faith of the Spirit is already perfect. That's why it says, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance, and when endurance has done its work, you're perfect. The Spirit does things perfectly. It manifests faith perfectly. The faith that it manifests is perfect. There's nothing wrong, not one blemish with the faith that the Spirit produces. Your human faith will never rise to the level. It'll be like a filthy rag in God's eyes. It will never produce gold and precious silver and fine jewels. It will only produce wood, hay, and stubble. Human faith will only produce that. Spirit faith will only produce perfection. Let him who is righteous still be righteous. Revelation 22. Let him who's filthy still be filthy. The flesh will always be filthy and the spirit will always be righteous. There's no testing of the spirit. It passed the test long ago. There's only testing for a manifestation of either the Adamic nature or the nature of God, the spirit nature. And when he says these trials test, they are testing whether or not you are manifesting the spirit of God in being someone that is easy to be around, or you're producing the spirit of Adam, which is very combative with everybody around it argues and fights and tries to dominate it, the spirit of Adam. The human nature is only the sum total of all self-preservative instincts. I'll say that again. That's what your human nature is. The sum total of all self-preservative instincts. It wants to live forever and it knows it can't. So therefore, it wants everything that it can get if that will help it live longer. That's why it covets. That's why it's envious. That's why it wants to steal. That's why it carries on the way it does. That's why it likes to boast 
in everything to make it seem more important than it is. It wants all the importance it can get your human nature because it's just trying to live and being important helps, helps live. So it's not that the faith is getting refined, but it is being tested to see what sort it is. Either it's a spiritual sort of faith or a human sort of faith. Either it comes from the spirit, the faith, when the spirit is manifesting itself, or it comes from Adam manifesting himself with faith that causes you to be cowardly in, in a trial. Even in First Peter, where it says, If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, your gold is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, at the white throat judgment when your works are tested by fire to see whether Jesus did them or not. That's why you're praising and honoring and glorifying Jesus on that day. The fire is testing to see whether Jesus produced it or Adam produced it. And if Adam produced it, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. But your faith that is more precious than gold, which comes from God, even though you haven't seen it, you still love it and greatly rejoice with an inexpressible, full of glory type of rejoicing, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, the salvation of your mind, the outcome of this manifestation of faith, the outcome of this manifestation of the Spirit is the salvation of your mind. Why? Because it goes from the mind of the flesh, Romans chapter 8, to the mind of the Spirit. It gets saved from the mind of the flesh. You remember the mind of the flesh is death, and the mind of the Spirit is life and peace, for the mind of the flesh does not subject itself to the laws of God, nor is it able to do so. Anyone controlled by the mind of the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. And you get saved from the mind of the flesh by the salvation of the mind of Christ becoming abundant and taking control of your thoughts and making them captive to the obedience of Christ, which is right there in 2 Corinthians 10, I believe. The divine power takes every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Then it goes on to say, and we're ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is made complete. 
your obedience is made complete. That's passive voice. You didn't make your obedience complete. It was made complete by the divine power that's spoken of in 2 Corinthians. The divine power tears down every lofty thought and imaginations and strongholds, and it takes every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And once it has done that and your obedience is complete, then it's ready to punish everything that's not coming from that divine nature that made your obedience complete. Hopefully I'm making sense there. But in Second Peter, it, it says, the trials produce proof of this genuine living faith, which is a manifestation of the Spirit, and it's more precious than gold. Why? Because it's the thing that makes gold. Your spirit is the source of the gold that is refined by fire. And then it goes on to say, this gold is perishable even though it is refined by fire. It's not saying your faith is refined by fire. It never has said your faith is refined by fire because there's no need for your faith to be refined by fire. Your faith is perfect if it's the spirits of faith living in you and your faith will burn in the fire if it's Adam's faith. You'll never produce faith that doesn't burn in and of your own self, and it can't be refined. It can't be, you can't get the dross out of it. You, you can't get it to refine. It doesn't refine, plain and simple. It doesn't need to be tested because it, has always failed and always will fail. Nor does the spirit need to be tested because it succeeds always and always will succeed. But trials can test for either the spirit or the human nature to come out. And that is what James is talking about when he says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith, the new covenant definition of your faith, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and when endurance has had its full work, you are complete and mature, not lacking anything. You're shining. You, you shine when the Spirit is manifesting through you and you lack nothing. You don't need refining because the spirit is perfect in you. And when it manifests itself, you are acting perfectly. You are doing just fine. You're you're righteous. You're acting righteous and your friends will love you. They'll all say, you're being righteous today, brother Steve. And then you'll say, well, it's not me, it's the grace of God in me, manifesting through me. And that's kind of what the book of James is actually about, manifesting the spirit or the way it was phrased, manifesting the faith of God. But as we know, faith of God is a manifestation of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 9. 
And that's why the book of James goes on to talk more about this idea of faith. And, and it begins to say, hey, it's either living faith or it's dead faith. The idea that one person is going to produce either living faith or dead faith. And it speaks about this in a more vivid way in James chapter 2, namely 14 and following. James chapter 2, 14 and following. Here it says, What use is it, brothers, if a man says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? So there's a saving faith and a faith that doesn't save. Or if a brother or a sister without clothing and in need of food, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is nekros, the Greek word nekros, which more accurately is translated dormant here or inoperative for the sake of this passage in James. Faith without works is inoperative. It says faith without works is dead, but that word necros means much more than dead, and it can mean inoperative, and that's, or dormant. That's the way it should be rendered here in this passage because it goes on to give two, two different examples of dormant faith. One was Abraham. It talks about him. It says his faith was working with his works and he was justified, and that would be in the sight of men. He's justified when he his works his faith produced works when he offered up Isaac on the altar. But what you have to realize is that the next example, which is Rahab, it says Rahab the harlot hid the Israelites after she believed. Well, that was immediately after she believed. She believed, and 10 minutes later, she was hiding the Israelites from the Edomites, I believe it was. But Abraham, on the other hand, his faith was dormant for 37 years. And he gave his wife to another king to, to be molested by the king. He fell down on his face and laughed at God. He had sex with his maid to produce a child. On and on the list goes about Abraham, what Abraham did while his faith was dormant. So he gives an illustration. One took 37 years for his faith to become operative and manifest itself. The other one manifested itself meaning in Rachel, it manifested itself immediately. As soon as she believed Israel, she had a manifestation of faith. And in chapter 2, 
it's so important to, to read that word faith is inoperative or dormant because number one, that's the way it really should. That's what the dictionary says. And number two, that's what makes it fit in the passage and paint a picture because he's giving two illustrations of when faith manifests itself. When faith wasn't manifesting itself in Abraham, Abraham was a Yahoo, and he did one dumb thing after another, one egregious thing after another. I mean, he had sex with his maid, Hagar, and they gave birth to the to Iran or Iraq. He fell down on his face and laughed at God, but all that was while his faith was dormant. His manifestation of the Spirit was dormant, as opposed to Rachel, which had an immediate manifestation of the Spirit. But that's the example that is given in James chapter 2, and we keep saying, well, faith without works is dead. That means James is a legalist and means your faith is no good unless you're doing the the commandments. And on and on we go talking about James being the practical book when all the time this letter of James is talking about manifesting and giving just an example of what manifesting looks like in James chapter 2. Somehow we miss it. I missed it. I missed it for 20 years until I got a revelation of what he was talking about, until I realized that faith in the new covenant is not the same faith as in the old covenant. In the old covenant, it was your ability to put your confidence in God. In the new covenant, it is a manifestation of God putting his confidence in God. It's a manifestation of God having the faith. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life lived in me. I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's those manifestations of faith that the book of James is talking about. And the book of James takes it for granted that you understand it's a new covenant depiction of faith that James is using. He takes it for granted that that you realize that it is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and then goes on with the letter of James. And if you can read it, knowing this, the letter of James begins to read entirely different than it would without having this knowledge. And I'm telling you, for years, I always thought that my faith could be refined, and I was going through these trials and tribulations to make my faith stronger or make my faith more pure, like pure gold, that it was refining and burning off all the non-gold stuff. I heard sermons and people say this and I believed it. I believed that that was what was happening, but then it doesn't make 
any logical sense. When you're looking at it within the confines of this new covenant, this new covenant where God said, I'll put my spirit in you and you won't have to teach each other how to experience God because from the greatest to the least of you, you'll see God. You'll see God manifesting himself and then you'll know that you can manifest God. And when you're manifesting God, you're experiencing God. That's how he made the new covenant for you to experience God. He says, I'm making a new covenant with Judah and the house of Israel, a new covenant. In that new covenant, I put my spirit in them and cause them to walk an exemplary Christian life. I put my spirit within them, my spirit, and it manifests itself in them and people from the least to the greatest can see that spirit manifesting itself. And look at the Greek words where it says, I will put my spirit in them and cause them to walk in my statutes and no one will have to teach his brother how to know the Lord for they will all know him from the least to the greatest. That's actually two different Greek words. One is the word know that we can get the idea of experientially. We'll not have to teach each other how to experience the Lord. And then the other Greek word that's translated know, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. That word can be translated see. They will all see me from the least to the greatest because I'll be manifesting himself. See how those two words line up with the new covenant in what God was telling the people in the Old Testament? They said, I'll make a new covenant with you. And from the, you won't have to teach your brother how to experience God from the greatest to the least of them. They will all see me manifesting myself. It's a new covenant whereby he put his spirit in us to do for us what we can't do for ourselves by manifesting in us. Like I said, he could use the rocks, but he doesn't. He uses us and we are the earthen vessels in which the spirit of God dwells. We are the temple. Don't you remember? You are the temple of God and God dwells in you by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and he dwells in you by his spirit? The spirit of God dwells in us, man. And we can manifest him. And I'm telling you, it took me years and years and years to catch a hold of what this Bible was telling me and how it was telling me that a new covenant was made. And before that, I was a confused puppy. I thought, oh, I've got to please God. I've got to please. No, I am pleasing to God. No, I am pleasing to God. No, wait, he's not pleased with me. I have to do, do more. I've got to tithe more, give more, evangelize more. No, no, I don't have to do anything like that. I can rest. I can rest in the spirit. I was confused. It, every day was a conflicting sermon. Constantly, they all conflicted. 
the confliction being things that don't line up with the new covenant. Those are the thoughts and ideas that caused the confliction in my mind. That's what caused all the confliction and the confusion. And I know it has for many of you people too. So that's what I want for this podcast to stop. I I want it to prevent you from being confused as Christians and not quite knowing how to act and be able to just calm down and rest and let God manifest himself through you so that you can truly, truly shine. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. I pray, Father, that you would allow us to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know you more and that we would know the hope of our calling and how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God that overthrows human intellect, Father. I want everybody to be able to comprehend and see what the words of the pages are saying to them and to be able to take root and become established in this new covenant that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Good night.